Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night. And I'm provided with an opportunity <clears throat> to share a few thoughts about this particular moment in the year, uh, which were between Yom Kippur, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, and um, and Sukkot, of course. Uh, today's Thursday night, Sukkot should be Sunday night. This is going to have Pasha Sazinu and so forth. And uh, it doesn't always work out that way, but uh, the Rechtan, the Stel Rechtan, is doing is sponsoring this in honor of her husband's birthday, Doctor Manny Rechtin, the big brain surgeon, and um, so we thank her, and wish him a happy birthday. I'm not going to ask what how old, uh, once you reach my age, you don't ask those questions anymore. But uh, I hope everyone's in good health. That's the main thing. I know the Rechtin family on both sides went through the war and so forth. So, you know, <laughs> everyone should just have good health. <clears throat> now. Um, I think it's very familiar that, you know, in the Torah it says, Rishon, you take on the first day. And so what do you mean, Rishon? You know, to take the Lulu and Esther. Rishon Lechesh Isn't that right? I'm going by heart, but I believe I'm right. Rishon Lechesh It's the first day for Chesh Benavonos. You must have heard this in a sermon or something like that. In a vort. So, usually the way, it's a famous Chazal. So usually the way we understand that, according to the famous Midrashic interpretation, goes as follows. That Rosh Yom Kippur, by the time Yom Kippur goes, hopefully you had a good Yom Kippur, therefore, by the time you finish Yom Kippur, you cleaned out all your Averis. I repeat, you cleaned out all your Averis. The trick then is, how do you prevent yourself from racking up more sins? Easier said than done to prevent that. So the general idea, as I recall, is, look, you're spending all the time building a sukkah, putting up the schach, buying a little of an estric set, getting ready for yontiv. She's a cooking, he's getting this or that. You're, you're too busy to do a virus. You understand? We mean that in a good way. You're engaged in doing mitzvahs. Don't even say in Shulchan Aruch, you know, the minute the <coughs> kipper's over, Last night, in other words, here in, in Baltimore, you're supposed to start working on sukkahs. Either physically do something to add to the sukkah or whatever, or at least learn the mission of sukkah, the, uh, you know, halachas of sukkah, which are always very complicated. Sukkahs, of course, involves two separate units, A and B. A is the laws of building a sukkah, and B is the law, laws of the Arbamina, <clears throat> which this year, by the way, are complicated because it's a Shemitah, you know, so... I'm not going to get into this, but I'm sure your local rabbi will, you know, not forego the opportunity to make a speech about this on Shabbos or whenever, which is, what do you do in terms of buying the asterisk because it's a Shemitah? But I'll leave that <coughs> alone. Um, so happens, by the way, this year for the first time ever, it just came together. I'm not going to say how. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, uh, got me the asterisk and so forth from Italy. I don't know if you know, it was the Italian asterisk. I never... Never had that before. 
Uh, <clears throat> now, um, here's where I'm going. So usually we say, you're too busy to do a virus. By the time you get to Sukkot and everything's settled down, you've already built the Sukkot and so it's over. <clears throat> now you have time to devote yourself to a virus. No, so that's why we say, L'kachem B'yom Rishon. Now you got to tend to the Sukkot business. Uh, you know, the uh, Lula and Asterix ceremonies are pretty, Gepachkevich, uh, eating in the sukkah is a Gepachkevich business. And, you know, <clears throat> the idea generally is hopefully you keep putting off the time when you're going to do the Averis. That's a nice vart, you know, it's like for a sermon. But <clears throat> it's not real. I mean, people do Averis, um, you know, start <laughs> the, minute, the minute Yom Kippur's over. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but it's a fact. Now, so what does it mean, Rishon L'chash ben Avonis, the first time you start counting the, uh, the <coughs> Averis? So I want to suggest, especially Tzazinu and so forth, that the way you should interpret it, it sounds to me like some Hasidic Rebbe probably came up with this word or something, <coughs> but I don't know it. So I'll just tell you what it comes to me. And that is, in honor of uh, Dr. Rechnia's birthday, the uh, Rishon L'chash ben Avonis, <coughs> I would base it on the famous <coughs> Excuse me. On the famous Apirki Elvis, which says that you should mitzvah. So you always do. What do they call that? <coughs> a profit test? No, that's not it. You know, you do you you, you do a basic test to see whether you're gaining or losing <coughs> in the activity you're going to do. Uh, imagine a business. If it's run well, it doesn't go broke. They've always got to do these. Ask himself the questions. Is this going to make more money or are we going to lose money? You know, you, you, you cut to the chase. Uh, so, famously, in Pirkei Elvis, it says that a person, if he's smart or she is smart, will conduct and relies in this kind of <coughs> cost-benefit. That's the word I'm looking for, right? Cost-benefit analysis. Um, and when you fail to do that, <coughs> you get yourself involved in a cycle of bad behavior, they can't break out of it because you become dependent on it. This is true in personal relations. It's true in all sorts of relations, including national and political ones. <clears throat> I'm old enough to remember the Vietnam War. The country couldn't ask themselves, like a rational, or the leadership, I should say, <clears throat> couldn't ask themselves a rational question at a certain point in the Vietnam War, you're not going to win. And it's only hurting the country as tearing everything apart, and the spending of all the money, and so on and so forth. And, you know, when do you do your cost-benefit analysis? <clears throat> now, President Johnson never did it, and Nixon also, it, 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 you know, didn't do it exactly. Now, I understand it's more complicated than I'm saying. I'm just giving examples that countries can get involved in behavior just like humans do, and they can't get out of it because they can't be completely rational about it. As opposed to when a person says, you know, if I do this Avera, what's going to be the consequence? If I do this Mitzvah, what's going to be the consequence? If a person asked himself or herself that, every time they ever contemplating doing a particular behavior, I think it's almost guaranteed you're definitely going to cut your Averis at least in half. You know? It's uncomfortable. We don't like to do it. So, for example, when it comes to eating, I'm just picking it off the top of my head. If you really say, next time you put something in front of you, do you really want to eat that and gain all that weight or not? You know, most people don't want to hear it. I understand it. Me too. But really, it's, but we acknowledge it's the correct way to go. 
if your goal is to, to, to lose weight. So it's a schar this, can I get that? Schar that, can I get this? That's called mechashev schar. That's, I would suggest, that's the cheshven. Uh, that regional cheshven avonus actually starts today when Yom Kippur's over. Uh, we're concluding today, Thursday, so, you know, uh, in the Jewish-wise, but it's the day after Yom Kippur. And if a person <clears throat> underwent a thoughtful Yom Kippur, not just reading the prayers, but giving some thought and introspection, then, and they're intelligent, um, then they probably did some of this cost-benefit stuff, and they probably said, if you believe, if you're a mindman, that, you know, I better stop doing this and this, and I better start doing that and that, simply because it's, it's just good for me, you see? Uh, and hopefully, therefore, by the time you finish Ne'ilah, you're thinking a little more rationally when it comes to mitzvahs and averas. That, I think, in my opinion, is what it means when they say that the sultan doesn't have any power on, on uh, Yom Kippur. Also, it's a medrash. It's a vort, actually. Because, you know, satan, uh, sin, nun, and uh, teth, what does that come out to? Uh, you know, how's it work? ha satan. It's got to work. ha satan is 363 days, I guess. Is that right? And then, you know, shin is 300, and nun is 50, and tes is 5. I mean, it's 9. And, you know, and then it'll come out to 364. So it's supposed to be the one day. I forget how it goes. One day, the, 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 the year is one more day. Yeah, 365 days a year. Yeah, that's right. So no, there's one day, does, the, the sun's not there, and that's a Yom Kippur. So what does that mean from a rationalistic point of view? If you're focused as one is supposed to be on Yom Kippur, on the real, and you're not eating and giving in to stuff on that day, so your mind's a little more rational when it comes to personal behavior, then you're going to do a lot less Averis. And therefore the Satan can't tempt you as he usually would. Um, now does this carry over? Well, that's the question. Rishon L'Cheshon Avonis, today, in other Thursday, would be the first day when hopefully you take that behavior that you picked up on Yom Kippur and start to apply it during Chol. And you say, today's Thursday and tomorrow's Friday, I want to do this, but wait a minute. I'm still sensitized and I'm aware from my Yom Kippur experience that this might not be a good idea to pursue. I may not want to call that person up because they're going to get involved in a Lushan Heart Fest. I may not want to go to this and this place because I'm going to run somebody I don't like and I'll get into a fight. I don't know. You can make up as many scenarios as you want, depending on the circumstances of your life. Uh, that's called Cheshman Avonis. And if you recall, the person who makes a very big deal about thinking in this way is the Miselsi Sharm. Uh, where I think he calls it Zahiris, right? I think. Where at the very beginning of it, I don't have it in front of me, he says, you know, don't walk around like a blind person, uh, or a person with eyes closed, because a person who walks around the street with eyes closed falls into holes and pitfalls. At least be morally aware. And right now, we're in regional, I would say we're in regional Cheshwan Avonis. We're in this period, the very, interest, very interesting period of the year, when um, it's between 
Yom Kippur. It's not yet Sukkot. It's always the same four days or whatever. Uh, and it's always interesting how Shabbos works out when it works out. Now, it's not always that way. You know, sometimes, I don't know, you know, Yom Kippur place could be over or whatever. Uh, you know, Tuesday night and then, you know, and then, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? It could be Sunday and then uh, by the time Sukkot comes around, there was no Shabbos in between. But very often there is. And when there is, that Shabbos is going to be Hazino, and if you work it out. And that's very interesting, because in Hazino, was Moshe Rabbeinu's final, um, uh, you know, poem, speech. I spoke about it the other day, but I want to call attention to a certain aspect of it, because I'm into history, that's who I am, so therefore, I'm going to always, my attention's only going to be drawn to the history-laden passages you find in texts, especially in Parsha Shabua. And in our Parsha today, of course, we have the classic one, where Moshe Rabbeinu says, is complaining, God is complaining, that the Jewish people don't do cheshvan avonos, cheshvan or mitzvahs. And I'll say it again, Mesil Shar makes a big deal out of this. And he quotes the famous um, uh, Pusik and Medrash on the Pusik, where it says, Alkein yomro hamoshlim bo cheshvan back in Bamidbar, where it says that, which is a strange thing, it says, Sichon was a renowned king, and therefore, those who make mashals up, say, uh, come to the city of Cheshbon, Sichon city will be built up. But, you know, Chazal don't care about Sichon, and so whatever they say, Bo Cheshbon, Come to Cheshman, meaning start living with Cheshman. You see? Start living with this, you know, approach, which is a very realistic one, which is I do a cost benefit. You know, do I want to buy this dress? Do I want to buy this car? Do I want to go here? Maybe I do, but you know, am I thinking it through? Or am I just, you know, going shooting from the hip? And when you see, like I see in interpersonal relationships, I'll just make this up. Do I want to say this to my in-laws? Do I want to say it to my son, to, 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 to my sister, to, you know? Think before you leap, you see? Now, uh, and I think if I remember correctly, Masil Sharm says something like this, that the people with great experience and morals, you know, use this mashal. That's the, a Moshlem. So what do you have in this week's Parsha? Yeah, Moshe been complaining about the fact that the Jews as a people, as individuals, as in a nation, do not do that. Um, it complains over again, there's no bino when it comes, there's no analysis, which is the word we use today, when it comes to study of the past. And how dumb is that? Because if mistakes were made in the past, or right things, you can save yourself a belt of mistakes and trouble by closely analyzing properly and drawing the correct lessons from what happened. You see? Uh, and if you just simply repeat the the mistakes of the past, you have no one to blame for yourself, but yourself. Uh, and that, of course, where it's, you know, God said like this, Lu chachmo yavinu zos. Lu chachmo yavinu zos. Yavinu lach risam. If this people had any chachma, yavinu, they, they, they would apply bina. Bina means analysis, understanding. How do you attain understanding? <clears throat> There's facts. But like in, like in the profession of history, which is my profession, the facts themselves don't tell you anything. It's how you analyze the facts. 
And two different people are going to possibly, likely, in fact, analyze facts differently. You see? And they're going to make right or wrong moves based on how they analyze commonly accepted facts. And the Jews will not do that. Right? If they had Haskalah, which is enlightenment, which is the ability to make correct analyses, then Yavin Lachrisam, then they would understand, you know, what's coming later. But we don't do that. We Jews make the same mistakes over and over again. That's what he's complaining about in in um in Hazinu. And what he's therefore saying, that's why it's interesting to me, myself and I, is the great importance of history in terms of providing wisdom, but it's always based on whether or not you make the right analysis of the facts of the past. Just jumps to my mind. I'm sure I did a podcast this once. The uh, uh, why did Japan attack America in World War II? What are they crazy? America's so much bigger, you know, so much more powerful. How could they do that? Uh, would the state of Israel attack America? You know, now I realize Japan was stronger than Israel, but I'm just saying. Lamaisa, Admiral Yamamoto said, you know, the the guy who commanded the Pearl Harbor attack, he said, "We're crazy, you know. We're we're, we're waking up a giant, an industrial giant." And the answer is, the Japanese had defeated Russia in 1904, you know, 40 years, 35 years before. They didn't remember that it was a very close call, and they almost lost. They just remembered that they won. And therefore, the attitude fit, grew in the minds of the Japanese decision makers. We can take on a country that's much bigger than ours and win. It was a stupid move, and it proved to be a stupid move. But they, in other words, incorrectly analyzed the facts. Uh, today, we just finished Yom Kippur. That means it's almost 50 years since the tragic Yom Kippur War, when Israel was caught with its pants down on two fronts, on the Sinai Desert, on the Suez Canal by the Egyptians' surprise attack, and on the Golan Heights by the Syrian surprise attack. Uh, and I saw how it's was, you know, little by little, they're, reveal, they're, they're releasing more and more uh, state records and, and you know, uh, state secret documents, because it's 50 years. And um, you see, it's very famous, it's notorious, that Israel had actually the information from one of their top spies that the Arabs were going to attack. So they had what we would call the facts, but they incorrectly analyzed it. That's the famous and terrible mistake of General Zaira. He says, it can't be so, it's got to be a fake. Because the, the Arabs know they can't win. He was so convinced that he didn't make the right cheshman, and therefore thousands of Jewish lives were lost. It's, it's, it's almost like a classic example. You know, we have in the 20th century several surprise attacks that ought not to have worked. So Israel had information before the attack and failed to properly analyze it and, and, and uh, you know, deal with it, you know, provide for it. Well, even Stalin, who had the best spies in the world, had the exact thing happen to him when Hitler surprise attacked him in June of 41. And he had spies that told him everything. He just didn't believe him because he said it's impossible. So in other words, they failed in the Cheshman. You get it? They failed to properly do the Bino. And Taka, what does it say in our Parsha today? Zechor Yemos Olam Babinu Shnos Tarbador. It's a juxtaposed. Zechor Yemos Olam. Which means get your facts straight. Remember the, the Yemos Olam. 
But then, that's not good enough. Binu shnos tevador. Apply bina, notice, intelligently analyze them. So you come up with the proper thing, with the proper approach. Otherwise, the fact that you know the Zechari Mos Olam is just, you know, you just know a lot of history books. Get it? You can tell me what day George Washington was born. Okay. You can even tell me, you know, which battles the Americans won and which battles the Americans lost, but you haven't analyzed why. <clears throat> now, in, I, I mean, I'm not a person of the world, but I know stuff I read, and, you know, in um, in the military, including the Israeli military, whenever there's a battle or a action or something like that, they're supposed to do afterwards an analysis. Um, that's American doc. I mean, everybody. Do, I'm sure everybody does that. Every professional military does that. Uh, I know in World War II, there's this good book out, three volumes now, from Ian Toll about in, in in very great detail about the Pacific War in the forties, and uh, this guy really did something. He's a very good writer too, and you see, there was you know as part of the regular uh, professional procedure. After the battle, whether they won or lost, they did a, uh, you know, analysis and see what they got right and what they got wrong. It's pretty sad for those poor Marines that a bunch of times uh, when they lost a lot of men attacking this island and that island, the after-action reports weren't good. They didn't do good analysis on it. And the same problems were repeated until finally they figured out what to do. So if this is true of general history then you can understand how Moshe Rabbein is looking at it in this week's Parsha. And you can understand how it would affect us now in the aftermath of Yom Kippur as we do the the, 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 the countdown to Sukkot. Uh, even though the Torah talks about Yom Rishon being on Sukkot, but really for us, the Yom Rishon is today. And you have a very interesting period of a limbo in which you ask yourself the intelligent question, what is it that I'm supposed to do during these several days, other than skip Tachnan, if you're a guy, uh, which is proper for, you know, this particular moment of the year, even though it's it's a short moment, reflecting what I learned on Yom Kippur and preparing me to get a good sukkah, because it's a truism. <clears throat> With all of our holidays, without exception, that if you don't prepare for it, you lose at least half right off the bat, half of the uh, of the experience. I realize people have busy lives, and, you know, you don't necessarily set aside the time, but take, for example, I'm serious now, take, for example, oh, uh, oh, Take, for example, the fact that Sukkot is called that there's Simcha Yaseir, as the Raman puts it. There's a special mitzvah of Simcha on, um, on Sukkot, which has been given a ritual uh, manifestation, I would say today, in the Simcha Beis Shaliva type parties. Fine. That's a command in the Torah. Uh, it's one of the 613 mitzvahs. Okay. How does one do... How you do that? To be perfectly honest, I think most people don't do it. I mean, they have sukkahs. They carry out the ritual, uh, you know, obligations. They build a sukkah if they can. They get a arba minim. 
You know, they're generally happy, I guess, you know, because you have relatives coming over and that sort of thing. But, a simcha is actually kind of hard. A simcha is, uh, is not the same thing as entertainment. I've said, I've said that many times from the pulpit and from out. In modern America, we're very good at entertainment, but entertainment is like, you know, drinking soda a minute later is gone. You know, there's nothing left from it. Uh, so what exactly is the simcha? Okay. Uh, and that's actually a serious question. And, uh, let me put it this way. I don't believe you can attain that if you don't start today giving some introspection of how it is you want to accomplish that particular mitzvah. Uh, on Sukkot, uh, that's a real thing I just said. And the idea is without hachonas, you can't get anywhere. And so the four days in between, especially when we read the, the hazinu, have to be utilized as rishon lechesh manavonas, you know, to, to start asking yourself, what do I want to do, for example, in this holiday? What do I not want to do in the holiday? And what are the benefits if I do this and what are the benefits if I do those? I'll just make something up. If you have a sukkah, you're probably going to invite guests. You're going to invite guests, you can invite this kind, you can invite that kind. You know, doggone well, if you invite this kind of guest, everything is going to be talking about stupid things. If you invite that kind of guest, kind of guest well, it'll be a much more uh, ruchnius type of uh, conversation. That's just who they are. Right? Now, you have to make a cheshman. What if the person you're inviting is some kind of person with social problems and therefore you're doing them a big mitzvah by inviting them? Well, you see, you start to make the cheshman. Here we go into the Mesil Sisharm world. Bo cheshmon, tibonevisikonen You have to calculate. So that means I'm going into a holiday with the goal of becoming simcha, but by taking it very seriously and making calculations the way I would do with an investment of mine. Hopefully, right? So that means that we're, you know, in a, in a, in a Kodak moment, so to speak, uh, which I don't think you have the rest of the year because there's no other situation like ours in which you have two holidays almost back-to-back with each other. I realize Yom Kippur is not your typical holiday, but it is a holiday I want you to know. Uh, I think, did I say it over here? I mentioned Shul. The Marshag in Hungary says, you know... Uh, you don't have to walk barefoot on, on, on Yom Kippur. Just don't have leather shoes. If it hurts you, I know there are those who say it should hurt you. But he says if it hurts you, then you're staring Simcha Siyantav. And, and there's a, there's a, you're supposed to be, it's not a regular Simcha Dikha Mitzvah, but you're supposed to be happy Simcha Dik on Yom Kippur also. It's just that you should do the Inuyim. But you do, you know, only exactly what the Torah forbids and nothing more. So it just means that he's giving a Cheshman at least how he's going to carry Yom Kippur. And I'm saying you're going to have the same type of Cheshman which is going to uh, put over the sukkahs, and you'll either have a good sukkah based on this, or you will not. Now, this really lies in Zechor Yemos Olam B'Shnos Dovador. Sha'al Avich V'yaged Chavit Zekein Hechaviyamruluch. Which is all the... If I want to judge the the Shnos Dovador, which can mean the changes that were introduced over the generations, uh, he says I should talk to the Talk to your parents and grandparents. Why? Because they have experience longer than you. And experience gives you, usually, not always, not always, but usually experience gives you a better analysis of, you know, what happened. Uh, 
That's a great, interesting cheshman, he said. You know, I remember me, myself, and I, uh, a number of years ago, when Arnold Steinman at that time came to Baltimore, which was a one-time deal, and he was in uh, near Israel, and they invited all the Ravada Rabbanim nationally to come and, and, and meet him. And we all came to the home of Rashi Ravaram Feldman. It was an apartment or something. And, you know, Ryan Stein was close to 100 already at that time, however old he was. And, but he was on the ball, my goodness. You know, I I actually uh, uh, didn't know who he was at the time. This was relatively new, and I, uh, you know, uh, gained great, um, uh, what's the right word, very impressed. And people were asking him different about him and different Balabat and Frumis and so forth. It says, do you think we should do this and this? And we should answer that and that? And we should start this and this kind of campaign and that? And he shot them all down. And he said, you know, what's wrong if we make a uh, a campaign to do such and such? And he said like this. I remember they tried it. This is what he said, not me. I remember they tried it in Rodden and the whole thing flopped. What about, you know, answering such and such? I know that they discussed with the Chavetz Chaim and he told, I was there or something like that. And he says, and he told him not to do it because he had experience with this and this. You see, in other words, only somebody who's actually had experience with it can share that particular type of analysis. And usually, not always, but usually, the analysis, which is based on actual experience, uh, is probably the best. That is when history is utilized most successfully. Okay? Not to defend the position you're already trying to defend, but to look honestly at what happened in the past and try to learn what works and what doesn't work. Okay? Now, to do that, you need a great deal of wisdom. And it ain't push it. And uh, as I said before, the Jewish people, if they survive in history, whether they realize it or not, kind of rely on that sort of, you know, analysis of the past. Uh, but I don't think we think in, in specifically historical terms in the way this, the, the term is usually used. And it's not easy to do the right bonus over there, because to make facile comparisons, since they did this in Rodden, therefore they assume Baltimore is not a good analysis. It's got to be you taking all the uh, factors into account. So uh, it just, so I conclude by saying that it's just very interesting that this moment uh, of these three, four days is uh, interrupted by Parshish Hazino, where Moshe Rabbeinu is exactly calling, God really, is calling or decrying the inability or the failure of the Jews uh, historically. Now, by the way, Hazino is predictive. It's talking about what's happening in the future. But you and I, two, three thousand years later, we say, oh boy, did this happen. Um, it, 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 it's a big problem for Jews. Do we properly analyze the past? And I can tell you right now, if you look at the way world Jewry is, and American Jewry, all the rest of it, with the whole Jewish people falling apart, and the intermarriage, the assimilation, and this and that and the other, uh, and these guys that are like pro-BDS and pro-PLO and all the rest of it that you read about every week, I mean, these guys haven't looked at the past. <laughs> they don't know what's what's going to befall them if Israel goes down the tubes. I mean, they're in la-la land, you see? And I honestly think they don't, you know, do any kind of historical analysis. They have the attitude, what happened in the past doesn't matter. Uh, we're building the future. Well, Pasha Zazino said, says, there's no such thing like that. You're always building on the past. Either you acknowledge it, or you're too arrogant to admit that something in the past has anything to offer you. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll do as, as 
Michelle Sharm said you just drive blindly with your eyes closed and you figure the car won't hit anybody. Well, you think really that, how long do you think that's going to work? So, uh, on the other hand, if a person does the Cheshvan Avonis, then um, you come into Sukkot kind of mellow and uh, wise. And you say, you know, this past Yom Kippur, I confronted some of my problems. I doubt anybody confronts all their problems, but you have some of their problems. And I can see things a little bit better this year. And armed with that information, uh, let me see, I can have a better Sukkot this year than last year. Because I think either grow or go, so you always want to have a better one this time than you did last time. So I hope this makes sense what I said. I think it does. It makes sense to me. And uh, I think these are some ideas that people may want to have in discussion this Shabbos and even on Yontif. Uh, every family has its own past and every family has its own responsibility to intelligently do Zechari Moslam Binu Shnos Vador and not be Alu Chachmu Yaskilazus Yavinu Lachrisam. I'm not saying every family succeeds in this enterprise, but imagine those who don't even try. That's like weird to me. Uh, but the world is composed of such things. Anyway, as I said, there's some of the ideas that I think are very blatant to me in terms of this year, as far as the calendar is concerned. And I want to thank the uh, Recht and Mrs. Rechtan uh, for sponsoring this, and uh, happy birthday to her husband, and good health. And with that, I wish you all a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.